Hi, this is Looking Back, a program where I'll be remembering highlights, low points, adventures, and lessons learned during my first 75 years. I'm Robert Harmon, and I'll be looking back at an often unplanned, but mainly interesting life. I hope you'll join me as I throw in a little history, some culture, and a few observations along the way. 200 years ago, in the 1820s, saw the beginnings of the Industrial Revolution. With it, two significant changes in human mobility occurred, with the invention of the passenger train and the omnibus. So today, I want to talk about bus stops. The great thing about a bus stop is that you literally have to stop to use one. We have to stop and wait patiently or impatiently according to our need or haste to get somewhere. I don't want to get too philosophical, but how often do we actually stand still in our daily lives? We're always on the move, doing something, going somewhere, and the bus stop affords us an opportunity to stand still, catch our breath, look around, watch the traffic, start a conversation with someone waiting next to you, notice something in the vicinity, something you'd never noticed before, catch sight of a passing friend you might have missed if you'd been walking. In Britain, a bus stop is invariably an opportunity to talk about the weather, if nothing else. So you wait and look around, perhaps talk to a stranger or share a story. Then somebody in the queue will spy the bus. Someone will utter the word, Oh, here it comes, now! And we are all immediately content, knowing that the short wait was worthwhile in more ways than one. Back in Scotland in the 70s, I had started driving with a provisional license. This meant that your vehicle needed to have license plates. These were roughly nine inch white squares with a large L attached to the front and back of your vehicle. This warned other drivers to steer clear of you. As a learner, you also got this cool small license booklet. It was about the third the size of a passport. It was a lovely burgundy colour and had a royal coat of arms embossed impressively in gold on the front. I had taken mine with me when I returned to the States in 1978. It was more of a souvenir than anything else. The day came when I thought I'd like to get an Indiana driver's licence. There was a purple Dodge Dart from 1967 that I was interested in. So off I went to the BMV on South Walnut Street. The Bureau of Motor Vehicles was fairly crowded and I thought I'd have to wait a while. As I looked for the start of the queue, I was told that there was no such thing. You just had to pretty much push your way to the front. Very un-British, but it worked. I tend to rely on quasi-polite stealth rather than elbows. Eventually, I made it to the counter and was asked if I had a driver's license. 
In my thickest Scottish accent, bordering on incomprehension, I replied, I only have this. I handed him my provisional driver's license, and he looked at it as if he'd just been handed the keys to Hoosier Heaven. He was so impressed that he showed it to his co-worker. On the fronts were the words, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, or some words to that effect. Below it read, Provisional Driver's License. He read it as if I had been Obi-Wan Kenobi, mind-controlling him to give him a license. He called someone over, and we went outside to a friend's car. I drove, taking four right turns, parked, then came back into the BMV office. There I had my photo taken, and bingo, I was a legal driver. Twenty minute stops. It sure is a great thing being white in America. They just throw all manner of useful stuff at us Caucasian immigrants. Here, just take this social security card and let me throw in a driver's license in case you need it. My bus days were almost over, it seemed. While growing up in Scotland and needing to get home to Tilly Drone, part of Aberdeen, I'd head for the number 20 bus terminal on Broad Street. It was a great place to wait for a bus. Across the street, standing in all its gigantic grey granite glory of ornate architectural majesty, was Marshall College, founded in 1593. It was, and still is, a wonder to behold. Once on the bus and heading homewards, the bus would pass through the Channonry and Old Aberdeen. On your right, you'd come upon King's College, founded in 1494. People from Aberdeen, Aberdonians we call them, or we call ourselves, are proud of saying that in the Middle Ages, England had two universities, Oxford and Cambridge, while Aberdeen had two. We Scots are proud of our educational tradition. We've had public school education for all since 1707. Every village had a school. England had to wait until 1918. Just saying. Occasionally, while waiting at the bus stop across from Marshall College, I'd hear some old codger remark, Aye, that's where the rich and clever people go. My negative little brain took it to mean that I wouldn't be going there when I got older. In May 1967, after nearly four years, I got out of the army and could grow my hair a little longer. Hey Joe was number one, and a whiter shade of pale was taking over every cell in my body. That first note with Matthew Fisher on organ, followed by Gary Brooker on vocals, is still mesmerizing 50 years later. Who cared what it meant? My little ears had heard nothing like it before, like lightning in a bottle. Not long after leaving the army, I started taking evening classes. I got to thinking that I might like to be a technical teacher, woodwork and architectural drawing. I'd always loved those subjects in school, it seemed like a good choice going forward. 
at the number 25 bus stop one day while waiting outside the main post office in Crown Street, I bumped into an old school pal. We got on the bus and he told me that he was going to the university. University? I blurted out, hopefully with no tinge of astonishment. How can this be, I thought. I was always cleverer than him in school. So it was with incredulity, a wee bit of envy, but mainly inspiration, that we caught up with one another. Did you nae get on memo fan we were bairns about our kind nae being able to go to the university? Which translated means, did you not get that memo when we were children about not being able to go to the university? We went our separate ways, never to cross paths again. But that bus stop conversation changed my life's direction. Thanks, Wally, wherever you are. Soon my focus was on university admission exams, leaving wood shavings, technical drawing, and making things in my wake. Or so I thought. Nineteen sixty-nine had been a rough year for me. The world just seemed to be a truly unfair, brutally awful place, and I didn't want to be part of it. The million or more children dying of starvation in Biafra left me numb. Everything around me brought me literally to the verge of suicide. Oh, you've had a brush with death, says God. What's the brush for? Do I need a brush? Oh, yes. You'll need the brush of death. You suiciders are part of the afterlife cleanup crew. Life can be very messy. So I noticed. But I'm not on my way out just yet. See you later then, says God. But there was no bus stop for that transitional destination. There wasn't even a bus. However, I did take a real bus and checked myself in one Saturday afternoon. It's great when you know where all the bus stops are, especially when you're lost, lost to the world, a world in which even the habitual, reliable life jacket of humour is leaden, riddled with holes, and the straps are falling off. Can't laugh my way out of this one, I thought. It was time to check myself into Cornhill Psychiatric Hospital. I wanted to live, but each second was so unbelievably sad, miserable and pointless. So off I went joylessly to the bus stop and waited. After almost a year as an outpatient, I felt more stable, less anxious, and ready to take tentative steps forward. I got myself very small parts in two plays to boost my confidence. I was Aki Milkman in Under Milk Wood. 
I had one spoken line, and I nailed it. Before finishing treatment, I was offered an opportunity. Go somewhere for a few months, somewhere where you can't readily escape from. It was framed as an invitation rather than a challenge. It was a challenge nonetheless. It took a while to decide on a destination. As chance would have it, my father's oldest sister, who I'd only seen once before, had moved to New Jersey in the 1930s, and so I decided to go visit. I didn't tell her it was for recuperation. She didn't need to know. So in the summer of 1970, I was ready to visit the US. Maybe it would be an escape of sorts, and hopefully not too scary. A few weeks before flying to the States, I saw the movie Easy Rider. Is this where I'm headed? I thought, anxiously scared by the ending scenes of roadside murder. Eventually, it didn't stop me getting on the plane, but it was clear to me that I wouldn't be going down to the southern part of the country. Before traveling, I had one final thing to do. I wanted to finish reading The Lord of the Rings. As much as I had loved the trilogy, I was also looking forward to reading some new, unknown books in America. Little did I know. My aunt was not a pleasant person to be around, and she could never ever understand that I didn't have a driver's license. Not believing in idleness, she got me a job in Patterson, New Jersey. It was a 30-minute bus ride away. She was always too afraid to go there. Too many black people, she'd say. She was appalled, but I loved the bus, the journey and the people waiting at the bus stops, black, brown, white people. Here I was in America, it was strange, odd, and wonderful all at the same time. And the summers were actually warm, hot even. On the occasional weekend, I'd take the one-hour bus journey to the Port of Authority bus terminal in New York City. Just looking out the bus window was a movie in itself. Everything was different. The weather, the scale of things, the food the population diversity, and the friendliness of people. Even the cops were friendly. I remember going up to a tall NYPD officer asking if he could tell me where the Empire State Building was. It was a Saturday afternoon. Everything, everyone was busy, busy, busy. He walked onto the street a little bit, stopped a lane of traffic, horns started honking. He motioned me onto the street, and pointed up and across. There it is. I thanked him and he smiled and said, have a nice day. I'd never heard that phrase before and it sounded so heartfelt and sincere. That was a genuine 1970 New York City moment for me. New York for the day was always an adventure and going into the Port of Authority to get the bus back to New Jersey was like entering Disneyland. No obesity in those days, 
but people of all shapes, sizes, colors, accents, all moving like a giant swirling wall of seemingly choreographed people. It was like that things that starlings do, up and down and roon and roon and hour the place, nobody colliding, a murmuration they call it. But these were New Yorkers, they don't murmur. They did something that's between a shout and a yell. It's harsh and friendly, like a noisy ballet, like West Side Story without the music and the dying. And it's certainly a dance, the dance of a crowded city. Beautiful to watch. Best of all, I was alive to it, enjoying it, almost part of it. Maybe America will save me, I thought, more than once. One of my favourite Port of Authority interactions was with a bunch of orange-clad Hare Krishna youngsters who tried to convince me to buy some incense. I don't think they understood a word I said. Little did they know how hard it is to separate a Scotsman from the money in his pocket. And incense in my aunt's house? Never going to happen. And the second and my all-time favourite interaction was with a man. I think he was in his thirties and somewhat respectably dressed. He came up to me and asked if I'd like to go halves on a bag of cement. Initially, I thought I was misunderstanding him, but it turned out that he really was looking for someone to split the cost of a bag of cement with him. Maybe it was just slang for some drug or another, I don't know. I'm not from around here, I said, so I turned down his offer as gently as I could. I'd like to, but my aunt is allergic to cement. Have you got any Kentucky Fried Chicken by any chance? She loves Colonel Sanders. The Bronx meets the Scots. A classic case of mutual incomprehension. At the bus stop one weekend, I was again at the Port of Authority, heading back to New Jersey, when I got into a conversation with a young student, and we talked about lots of things, Vietnam, escaping to Canada, the Woodstock movie which we'd both recently seen, Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner solo, and lots of talk about books. I told him I'd just recently finished Lord of the Rings, he said he'd just finished a couple of books by Herman Hesse, which he raved about. On my next trip to New York City, I went to Greenwich Village, and at the first bookstore I came to, I bought a couple of books by Herman Hesse. I also discovered and bought some R. Crumb, Fritz the Cat, and Furry Freak Brother comic books. I was ready to laugh. I was almost ready for drugs, but not quite. After the comic books, I remember starting with Steppenwolf and found it too dense. So I switched to Siddhartha and was swept away by it. 
Then I returned and eagerly devoured Steppenwolf, twice. Those books and comics changed my life in different ways. I like a good laugh. We all do. It's a lubricant which makes human life bearable and possible. Hess's books were a revelation and set me off on a much-needed spiritual path. I needed and still need that balance. Now, where the hell is that bus stop? I thought it was around here. Oh, you're on the road to hell and damnation. Oh, Christ, near the wrong bus stop again. Looking Back is a sauna studio sound production with support from all the little bees up in the trees, folks who sneeze and bend their knees, where the cats meow, the dogs bow wow in old time Indiana. <laughs>